You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Jen. Hey, Arif. How you doing? I'm great. It's good, good morning. Here with you. Hey, Hannah. Hannah. Hi, everybody. Hey, Hi, Karen. Yes. Hey, Glenn Thomas. Glenn Thomas. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> It is a joy, like I said, to be welcoming you and coming together, Arif and I, here in the Cummins Room in the church building. And we want to say good morning and welcome to each and every one of us in all of our uniqueness, bringing all of our stories and identities and all of who we are to this community with joy, trusting that we will be received for exactly who we are, loved and welcome right here at First Universalist Church. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist, and we're so glad that each and every one of you are here today, whether you're with us live online right now. If you are, we hope you'll take a moment to say hello in the chat. Let us know where you're coming in from. And if you are watching or listening to the service later, please know that you are connected. We are all a part of this community wherever we are, whenever we are gathering in worship. We're so glad that you're with us. There are a couple of big things I want to let you know about and kind of invite you into with us. One has to do with some environmental justice activism. Over the last few weeks, there have been folks, environmental justice activists who have been walking from line three to the Capitol. They have been making their way across the state to raise awareness about the dangers of line three and to encourage others to join them in demanding that our government honors the treaties and agreements made with the original people of this land to protect us all from continued environmental crisis. The walkers will be arriving at the Capitol in St. Paul on Wednesday, August 25th, that's just this next week. And all of us are invited to join them at the Capitol at two, or if we are able, to walk the last mile of this journey with them, gathering at noon at the Martin Luther King Recreation Center on Kent Street in St. Paul. Several members of the church's leadership team and ministers and staff will be there, and we hope that you will too if you are able to join us there in person. Second, we shared some important news this past week in our newsletter about our fall uh, building reopening plans, and we want to make sure that you have that information now. So as has been true always, but in particular over the last year plus, when we have new information, we have to make new decisions. This is a good life practice to let the new information in, to let our principles guide us and to make new decisions in the moment. So with our faith as our guide, we are shifting our plans for in-person gathering for the fall. Some construction delays, a reassessment of when we'll be able to realistically be prepared to offer a welcoming and gracious return to worship in the sanctuary, and concerns about reopening during this fourth wave of COVID-19 as it hits Minnesota have led us to change our plans for when we will gather again in our sanctuary, in our building. And we had previously communicated that we would be gathering in person in the building on September 12th. So instead, the new decisions guide us toward on Sundays, September 12th and 19th, we will offer multi-generational worship off-site 
in the Church of the Great Outdoors. We'll be together outside. The services will be available later on demand for live streaming as well. On September 12th, we'll gather at the Lindale Gardens Amphitheater. And on September 19th, we'll gather at Minnehaha Falls Park. We'll have activities for children and youth offered during part of the service on the 19th. And religious education for our older youth, grades 7 through 12, will begin in person on September 19th. And we will continue to offer in-person religious education for youth, 7th through 12th grade, in person throughout the year, unless we are directed differently by the Centers for Disease Control or the Minnesota Department of Health. We know many of you have questions about how this will work logistically, and I promise Lauren Wyeth, our Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries, is on that, and we will be communicating more in the weeks ahead so we can all prepare. Our sanctuary and social hall will open for in-person and live-streamed memorial services starting the weekend of September 25th. Sunday services will be live streamed from the church building beginning on September 26th. So you will get to see our beautiful space and we will get to work as worship leaders together in the space, but we won't be together in person in September and likely through October for in-person worship in our building. We are hoping for an in-person and online celebration of our renovated building and regathered community on Sunday, November 7th. Religious education classes for grades six and under will likely begin that Sunday too. Now we know these changes in our communal plans can feel disappointing. I know they are certainly disappointing for me and everyone here on staff at church. We long for the time when we can be in person together and we are guided by our principles and our values. And part of that calls us to care for each other intentionally, to care for our larger community, to care for each of us as individuals, and to make our way forward in a way that is sustainable and reasonable and that allows in new information as we make these new decisions. So let's keep leaning on each other and leaning into each other in all the ways that we can, and let's do that together. So let's remember we share a common purpose to create a life and a world where we know ourselves and each and every other being as beloved, 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 whole and holy, worthy and wanted. And let's create that world together right here, right now. Let's begin by settling ourselves and building ourselves up. So for me, this begins with three intentional breaths. I've just grounded my feet on the floor, letting my shoulders roll up and down to open up my chest. I'm feeling myself connected through the earth to each and every one of you, past, present, and future. And then if it feels comfortable, I invite you to breathe in and breathe out. to breathe in and breathe out. One more at your own pace, breathing in, breathing out. It is so good to be together. Let's light our chalice together as a way of connecting across time and space. Please join me for the words of the lighting of the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. 
This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. A monastery had fallen on hard times. It was part of a great order which, as a result of religious persecution, had lost all of its branches. It was broken, this monastery, to the extent that there were only five monks left in the mother house. There was an abbot and four others, all of whom were over 70 years old. Deep in the woods surrounding the monastery was a little hut that the rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used for a hermitage. One day, it occurred to the abbot to visit this small place to see if the rabbi could offer any advice that might save the monastery. Well, the rabbi welcomed the abbot and they commiserated. I know how it is, he said. The spirit has gone out of people. Almost nobody comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old rabbi and the old abbot wept together and they spoke quietly of deep things and they gave time. The time came when the abbot had to leave and they embraced one another. It has been wonderful being with you, said the abbot, but I have failed in my purpose for coming. Have you no piece of advice that might save the monastery? No, I, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the other monks heard the rabbi's words, they wondered what possible significance they might have. The Messiah is one of us, one of us? here at the monastery? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Well, of course, it must be the abbot who has been our leader for so long. On the other hand, he might have met Brother Thomas, who was undoubtedly a holy man. Certainly he couldn't have met Brother Elrod, he's so crotchety. But then Elrod is very wise. Surely he did not mean Brother Philip. He is too passive. But then, magically, he's always there when you need him. Of course, he did not mean me. Yet supposing he did. Oh, Lord, not me. I, 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 I couldn't mean that much to you, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might be the Messiah, and on the off, off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the, because the forest in which the monastery was situated was beautiful, people occasionally came to visit the monastery to picnic or to wander along the old paths, most of which led to the dilapidated chapel. They sensed the feeling of extraordinary respect that surrounded the five old monks and permeated the atmosphere 
they began to become more frequently, to come more frequently and bring their friends and their friends bought friends. Some of the younger men who came to visit began to engage in conversation with the monks. After a while, one asked if he might join. And then another and another. Within a few years, the monastery became once again a thriving community. And thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant community of love and hope from within. I saw a stranger yesterday. I saw a stranger yesterday. I put food in the eating place. I put drink in the drinking place. Music in the listening place. And in the sacred name of the triune, she blessed me and my house, my cattle and my dear ones. Often, often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. Often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. Often goes the Christ. In the stranger's guise. Are you fidgeting? Are you still? Are you multitasking? No matter how you are in your body right now, it is good. It is you. It is here and it is now. Some of us think our way through life. Some of us ponder possibilities of transcendence. Some of us pray. And some of us simply pause from time to time. No matter what your modality, no matter what we do and how we do it, right now we pray, we pause, and we ponder together. Each centering our human consciousness, our human potential, our human finitude and frailty in one communal moment. Each day this past week, friends, our humanity made us pray, pause and ponder global atrocities and local ineptitude. 
And at the same time, each day this past week, humanity gave us reasons to celebrate the awe of beauty, the joy of invention, and the power of creativity. Yes, both and. Some of us have experienced unexpected death or an unexpected remission. Some of us are on the edge right now, ready to give up on something or someone while someone else is ready to let go of the past, go and let it go for the first time in 30 years to see what the next 10 years might hold. As we are, when we are, we will ask ourselves questions. We will ask the universe to show us something or we will read a novel where the ending is the answer where the ending is the answer. Seek and you shall find a path as you pray, ponder and pause your way through this coming week with all that it might bring, all that it might hide and all that it might expose. We are humans who are being not perfected. Yes, both and we are a community of communities, a community of the anxious, the self-satisfied, the worried, the weary, the restless, the addicted, the practical, the poised, the joyous, the resigned, and the wanderer. Let us be a community of communities that always seeks to bind our survival agreements with one another. Let us build our social fabric with our pauses, our prayers, and our pondering. Let us be a community of communities that can look over the fence that may divide us to find the root that spreads between both of our yards. Let us hold one another this week, remembering the power of this moment to pray, to ponder, to pause. Now I invite you to enter into the chat what you are pondering about, what you are praying for, and why you need to take a pause. Now friends, as we prepare to receive a message of energy and challenge in our sermon, I'd like you to remember the words of Elsa in Frozen. And she says, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me cannot get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I am one with the sky and with the wind. Let it go. Let it go. Blessed be and amen. I invite you to sing Spirit of Life, written by Carolyn McCade, performed by Sarah Lindsay and Franco.
Sarah, thank you, Franco. Do you remember that song, One of Us, by Joan Osborne? The one that asks, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make their way home. I love that song, friends, but it wasn't until Tuesday that I learned that there was a Prince version that made it that much more delicious. I suspect that many of you have heard that song, but even if you haven't, and even if you have, I'd like you to sit with that question for a moment. What if God was one of us? What if? The question in that song is the same as the question in our story today. The Messiah is among you. So why this story today? Well, for one, to me at least, there is a pretty straight line from Reverend Jen's sermon from two weeks ago to the lessons from geese we shared at the bandshell to this morning and the idea that the Messiah is one of us. If you recall Reverend Jen's sermon, she shared a story about riding a jet ski with her kids and shared lessons and reflections about how we need to go slow so that we can go fast together. That the slow times are times of preparation, times of learning how we breathe and move and flow together so that when the time is right, we can move quickly, reveling in the fact and the fun that comes from better balance more grounding, and let's face it, the thrill of speed. It's fun going fast together. What I left that service thinking about was what it means for us as a church to move slowly together. How in some ways we've been moving slowly during the course of this pandemic and our renovation, and also how there have been parts of our collective body that have moved really quite quickly when the conditions were right and we needed to. I'm thinking here about our lightning fast transition to online services and programming. I'm thinking about the creation of the love kits that extended the love of the congregation to folks who were isolated and alone. I'm thinking about the way that so many of you figured out 
technology that was difficult and challenging and frustrating and found and created ways to stay connected and together even across distance. I'm thinking about the way the congregation responded to the call of justice in the wake of George Floyd's murder, the racial justice resolution we adopted and the abolition circles that so many of you have been part of. As a body, there are so many ways that parts of us move slowly, even as other parts are moving fast, each with its own unique rhythm, each part of a larger whole that is moving together in the direction that love is calling us collectively. There is a collective body here. You can feel it. We picked up on that same thread last week at the Bandshell where we reflected together on lessons from geese. We reflected on getting in and staying in formation, thank you Beyonce, on lessons we might draw from geese as they stay together taking turns in the lead. How geese go further, faster by flying together, 71% more efficient. And we reflected on what it means that when one goose is injured, two drop out of formation to accompany the injured bird, staying with it till it recovers or dies. And when that group of two or three bird again takes to the skies, they join the next passing flock, knowing that which flock they're with is less important, that what matters is being part of a larger whole. Reverend Karen drove this point home in a strong way, sharing with us stories of falling in holes and being saved, being rescued by her people. Each time a different group, but each time it was the flock that grabbed a hold of her and pulled her out. To me, this points pretty directly to the idea that the Messiah is amongst us, that God is one of us. It also points me toward our third principle. So let me share that with you. Now, if you are anything like almost every other Unitarian Universalist I know, you have at best an arm's length relationship with our principles. No judgment here, really, no judgment. You like the idea that we have them. You like the idea that they are guidelines and affirmations, not creedal statements to live and die by. And you very likely read them when you were thinking about becoming a member and you thought, hey, cool, I can get down with these. And then you quite likely promptly forgot most of them, save for the first and the seventh, which not only bookend our current principles, there is, by the way, an eighth that is on the way, but are often the book-ending principles that many of us find to be particularly orienting for our day-to-day -day lives. The first talks about the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and the seventh casts our embrace wider, calling on us to embrace the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. Good stuff, right? inherent worth and dignity of all people in the middle, ending with the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. So let's unmuddle that middle. Let's take up our third principle for a moment here. I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but if I were to be forced to pick one, the third principle is very likely the one that I've picked. If you haven't already looked them up, and thank you for not already looking them up. I know screens can be a distraction. 
If you haven't already looked them up, our third principle points us toward acceptance of one another and encouragement toward spiritual growth in our congregations. No big deal, right? From looking in the chat and uh, from what I know of you all, I suspect that if we were in the sanctuary together right now, there might be a moment of knowing perhaps nervous laughter. Going slow together to go fast, following the wisdom of peace, these are all wonderful ideas right up until the moment that we actually have to interact with the other geese sitting around the table at a committee meeting or the goose sitting in the pew next to us doing that thing that annoys you or the goose in the pulpit who goes on too long and too abstractly. I'm pointing at myself here, by the way. You get what I'm driving at. Ideas about the importance of community are great. And they get so challenging when we try to put them into practice. Y'all are cracking me up that some of you are honking in the chat right now. We know how this is, right? And friends, that's why I love that our third principle points us toward acceptance of one another and spiritual growth in community, in our congregations. Humans that we are, capable of profound acts of care, compassion, justice, inspiration. Humans that we are capable of the exact opposite. And both of these possibilities living inside the same beings. That's where our third principle steps in. Accept each other and work to grow in community. Don't ignore the individual work. Nourish yourself in daily personal practice, but know that the fruit of practice is realized when we leave the cushion and take up the work of making and staying in formation together. And that's why I love this principle. Sometimes I feel like it's speaking right into my heart that it knows, this principle knows, our religious and spiritual ancestors knew how hard it can be for us to be together, and equally how absolutely essential it is for our growth. We quite literally cannot grow alone. And so our story. What if God was one of us? What if the Messiah was amongst us right now? The story that Glenn Thomas shared is instructive here. Thank you, Dr. Glenn Thomas. That monastery, that spiritual community had fallen on hard times. And as human communities do, the members of that community reacted to the hard times by pointing fingers by allowing resentment to grow and to fester. A shell had grown around each of the monks as they protected their vulnerabilities, their fears, the ache in their hearts, as each perceived differently the stresses on their community, even while each perceived the same larger problem that they had fallen on hard times. That they were a community in decline. 
but they were in a hole and did not know how to get out, but were quite sure that it was the fault of another of their members. There is a good chance that many of you know what it is to fall on hard times, to lose a needed job and source of income, to get a diagnosis that upends your life and how you saw the future, to lose a spouse, to lose a child, to lose a relationship, to one day realize that your spirit has been overcome by the shadow of depression or addiction, or to have that reflection held up to you by those around you, to look in the mirror and know that you or someone very close to you has lost their way. This experience of being part of a community, whether it's a community of two or five or hundreds or thousands or millions or maybe even 7.8 billion, this experience of being part of a community that has lost its way, at least in part, is one that I suspect many of us know. And I suspect that many of us are familiar with that other dynamic lifted up in the story. That under pressure, when things aren't working out as we wanted them to, we blame and point fingers at those closest to us. This is, of course, only human. When things are out of control, we reach for control of what's closest at hand. We organize our spaces, we prepare to-do lists and color code our calendars and block time and arrange closets and make sure that every notebook and every lunchbox has its place. And once we've gotten our space sufficiently together, at least looking better than those around us, we turn to the people closest to us and subtly or not so subtly point out how they're not measuring up to our example. Even if our space is a house of cards, at least we took the trouble to stand them up. And if everyone would just stand up their cards at the same time, just attend to keeping the illusion going for a minute, things might just be okay. Do you know this quality of heart and mind and spirit? This grasping to prop up an illusion, this grasping for control. This quality of blame and shame and resentment. This may not be the best of who we are as humans, but it is important to know this quality of heart and mind, to feel more fully its shape and where it lives in us that we might know when it is approaching and transform it into something else. And our story has a lesson for us in this regard, too. The wisdom of the rabbi was that communities transform from the inside out. The advice the rabbi gave the monks wasn't to invest in better marketing or to update their robes or to put a fresh coat of paint on the monastery. The advice, the wisdom of the rabbi was at core to live their faith in themselves and with each other. The essential wisdom of the rabbi that the monks took to heart, the wisdom that transformed their lives and their community was the knowing that the Messiah, that is to say, the one who would bring their salvation, that the Messiah was amongst them, but who it was, was not revealed. 
In other words, the story illuminates for us the possibility that exists when we live and act not as if our neighbor were the problem, but as if our neighbor might be the embodiment of the salvation that we've been seeking. What if? Will you imagine this with me? What if God was one of us? You, or you, or you. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Just a slob like one of us. What if God has dust bunnies under the sofa, is using a toothbrush past its prime? What if God is wearing mismatched socks? Just a stranger on the bus trying to make her way home. What happens when we open our hearts to the possibility that the only thing that can save all 7.8 billion of us is a radical faith in the inherent worth and dignity of all creatures? God is all of us. And a commitment to work to create beloved community on this earth for all those creatures in our lifetimes. To do it now. What happens when we let the house of cards fall down when we pause for a breath and then grab hold of those closest to us and build something new where the lies once stood. What if God is all of us? What happens when we think and act and live as if this is true? May it be so, and amen. In a heated debate for political victory, it was the then Senator Abraham Lincoln who popularized the term most of the people in my former home used to describe themselves. He makes a brief and quite shady mention of his opponent and all who follow his opponent, suggesting that they were all as silly as geese And there it was, the first popular exhalation of the long tradition of Michiganders. But if we have as much sense as a goose, we notice the silly thing is to focus on the hilarious nature of a single name. Just as a goose is silly. (laughs) It's the goose who succeeds not on their own goofiness, not on their own energy. Well, we've been made fun of as Unitarian Universalists in the same way and criticized. Natalie Sleeth makes it public that she is not a fan of her lyrics changing. May the love of God surround you everywhere you go, she insists. Garrison Keillor has made quite a bit of fame and money on the supposed silliness of our tradition and its change of lyrics. 
But the beauty of Unitarian Universalism is in our relentless togetherness. This is why we've been wise enough to find ways to sing together in this time, to gather many of us as one voice in the name of the sound of justice and the love of love. This is why we are each connected as a congregation to another and not limited even by the span of our own embrace, but chasing the fiercest, wisest ways to keep connected with organizations that expand the reach of our work and our generosity. Today's offering is such an opportunity. I'm inviting you to use I'm inviting you to use the money that you have to invest in the strength of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. You might know the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee or UUSC's work supporting and partnering and joining with the leadership on the ground efforts in Haiti. We've been doing this kind of work as a beacon and a symbol of love and hope and justice since World War II. UUSC is how Unitarian Universalism grows past its own limitations and makes power out of our togetherness. Unitarian Universalism is not content with hoping the world will heal. UUSC is part of the prayer we make with our hands, the miracle of conspiring breaths and collective action. We are changing the world. We are meaning something to the work of love and you are a part of that unceasing refusal to be silent. The insistence that our voice strengthens and our strength widens its form and reach when we make sure to stand together, to walk, to call and to journey for peace until it comes. Did you know you were a part of that? Do you know you can still be a part of that? Friends, there are many ways to give. Take this moment and treat it like worship and communities still have the power to transform parts of the world we love and parts of the world which we hope will grow and change. No choir lives on one breath, neither does one person, nor only singers, nor a single maestra. In this time where we are closer and closer to that ground, ground breaking work of being together again in the same room, we are nevertheless not to forget that we can invest in this power right now, here in Uptown, in Minnesota, in this land, on this earth, as a part of this universe set free. We're taking the time not just to hear the music then, but to notice the names of the chorus who built its beauty. We're taking the time not just to languish over what seems insurmountable, but to invest in justice with our hands by heart and our voices joined by our shared will and dazzling difference. If we have as much sense as a goose, then we'll join together. If we have as much sense as a goose, we will hope that the formation of community will leverage what we can to take part in the congregation of life connected, as Carolyn McDade said, by the roots 
invisible, invisible, holding us close and the wings setting us free, flinging our hope wide and far. Breathe in with me then. Like the chorus teaches us to do with precision. Breathe out then a life of giving where the change in the world for equity and empowerment are the evidence of love we are living for and which we determine to be part of the great revolution. We are God's hands and perhaps, I think we're something of God's voice. And with that power, how can you or I ever keep from singing?
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.